And church family, would you take God's word and join me in Matthew chapter 7 this morning? Matthew 7, verses 12 to 14. Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. All throughout God's Word, all throughout Scripture, from Old Testament to New, God goes to great lengths, goes to great lengths to show us that there are only two options in this life. For all of culture's plurality, for all of culture's rhetoric of many ways, many truths, many destinations, the unwavering truth of authoritative Scripture is that there are only two options. Again, from Genesis to Revelation, we find this motif running throughout all of Scripture. There are those who are God's people, and there are those who are not. There is an appropriate sacrifice that God accepts, and there is an inappropriate sacrifice. There is life. There is death, there is darkness, there is light, there is right, there is left, there are sheep, there are goats, there is good, there is evil. Over and over again in Scripture, God calls us to make sure that we rightly understand the reality that there are two options. And over and over in Scripture, God calls us to make sure that we are on the right side of this reality hear the word of the lord starting in deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 26 to 28 in the law of god we hear this see i am setting before you today a blessing and a curse the blessing if you listen to the commandments of the lord your god which i am commanding you today and the curse if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I'm commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. There's blessing and there's curse. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. Setting before you, God says, there's life and prosperity or death and adversity. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or Jeremiah chapter 21 and verse 8. You shall also say to this people, thus says the Lord, behold, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. Over and over. Scripture confronts the culture and the philosophy of our day, which is saying many ways, many truths, many gods, many destinations. But Scripture is saying no. Absolutely not. There's only two. There's only two roads. There's only two destinations. There's only two ways to live. There's only life. And there's only death. As we move into the final section of the Sermon on the Mount, 
these final verses of chapter 7, Jesus is going to take up that Old Testament theme in His final preaching here to show us this morning that there are two gates, and only two gates, through, one, through which one may enter. Those gates lead to only two roads upon which a human being might walk. As the end of chapter 7 draws near, we find that there are two different lives, two trees, and the two different fruits that they bear, one good and one bad. At the end of chapter 7, there are two different foundations upon which you may build your life. One of worldly sand, or one, the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. With those ideas and realities beginning to kind of knock around in our brains a little bit this morning, church, I want to plead with you. I want to plead with you this morning. Specifically, I want to plead with you that you not be easily swayed or led away by the plea of this world. And the plea of this world says this, you better believe what we believe You better go along with what we believe. You better be okay with people living this particular way or you're going to wind up on the wrong side of history, they tell us. Well, I mean, nobody wants to wind up on the wrong side of history, right? Like, we all want to line up on the right side of things. And I'm asking you, church, not to be swayed. I'm asking you not to hear the plea of the world. I'm asking you to hear the plea of Scripture. Because church, one day history is going to be dissolved and God alone is going to remain. Because one day, it's not going to matter if you're on the right side of history, if you're on the wrong side of God and His truth. And so friends, I'm asking... Because eternity hangs in the balance today. Life and death hangs in the balance. I'm asking you, hear God's Word. As we see here today, that of the golden rule of these gates and of God's way to salvation. Pick up the text with me if you would. Matthew 7, verses 12-14. to Read this with me. In everything therefore... Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small. And the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. I want us to see three truths, one from each verse this morning, three truths that are being set before us. You're going to kind of bounce back and forth between God's way, the world's way, and then back to God's way as we wrap up. We want to begin in verse 12 seeing this truth that is before us, that God's way in which He calls us to live is that He calls us to live in obedience to the Scriptures. See, as the people of God, even though we're saved by grace, our eternity is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are never ever given a permission or a freedom to live however we want to live. Scripture dictates to us how we live. 
So then verse 12, look at it again. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Because for this is the law and the prophets. Here in verse 12, we come to maybe what you have known from childhood as what we term the golden rule. This verse comes after sections, and just let your eyes fall back to the beginning portions of chapter 7. Verse 12 comes after a section on removing the log from your own eye before getting the little speck out of everybody else's eye. And then verse 12 comes immediately after verses 7 to 11, which we saw last week, this section on prayer and God's heart toward our request. And so then we might wonder, I think rightly, how does verse 12, this golden rule, uh, this, uh, this verse that seemingly summarizes the law and the prophets, how does it fit into the overall context here? Let me see if I can help us with that. In verses 1 to 6 of chapter 7, the call of Christ to His disciples is what? I don't want you to be quick to judge. I don't want you to have an overly harsh and critical spirit toward others. I want you to have a generous and gracious disposition toward the faults of others. Then in verses 7 to 11, God our Father so sweetly and graciously and generously grants our request. He's not annoyed with our request. He doesn't get fed up when we keep praying about the same things over and over. It is His heart to give us that which we ask. So then, in light of how we are to be generous and gracious to others, in light of how God has first been generous and gracious toward us, verse 12, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. This is the law and the prophets. How many problems in this life might be quickly and easily solved or avoided altogether if we would apply Matthew 7 and verse 12 to our lives. How many marriages might be at peace? How many workplace issues might be resolved? How many conflicts might be avoided if we took up the biblical mandate of living how God calls us to live in relationship to one another? Treat people the way that you want them to treat you. Notice carefully what Jesus is saying here in verse 12. Treat people how you want them to treat you. In what situations, Jesus? When? How does verse 12 begin? In everything. In every relationship. In every circumstance. In every relationship. Here is your biblical code of conduct, if you will. It is to treat others in the way that you want them to to treat you. The concept is not difficult. It's not hidden in code here in verse 12. If you want to be treated 
as an image bearer who has eternal value and worth, treat other people like they are image bearers with co-equal value and worth. If you want grace, give grace. If you want patience toward you, give patience to others. If you want others to overlook your faults and to be generous with you, be generous toward others. Look again at verse 12 and equally notice what Jesus is not saying. This may be almost as important, what He's not saying. He does not say in verse 12, do unto others as you would like to do unto others. He's not saying that. Alright? So let's just be honest. Sometimes there's a default in our soul when we are sinned against. We would like to do unto others uh, how we would like to do unto others. I'm thankful though that that's not the biblical mandate here before us. In fact, how many problems arise because that, that's in fact how we apply it. We do unto others how we would like to do unto others. Notice that secondly, he doesn't say treat others how you think they should be treated. By your standard. By your measure. Thirdly, he does not say do unto others as they have done unto you. An eye for an eye. Turnabout's fair play. You hurt me, I hurt you. That's how this works. That's how the world works. But that's not the way of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply put, beloved, in verse 12, what are we finding? That if we are Christian, if we are under the blood of Christ, if we have placed faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then simply put, we do not get to dictate how we treat other people. We don't get to take matters into our own hands in our relationships. Even when others sin against us, because we have first been loved, we love. Because we have first been forgiven, we forgive. We pray for them, even if they deem themselves our enemies. We do these things, why? Not just because it's a good moral code of conduct. The, the idea here is not how the world twists this, because the world then says, I'm going to put it on a sign in my yard that says, just be nice. Just be kind. Well, should we be nice? Should we be kind? Yes. But that flows out of something, does it not? We're called to this for two reasons. Number one, because this is how God has loved us, beloved. God has been gracious and generous. God has been slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. God does not go tit for tat. God does not act on the fly. Just emotional responses, getting even. He has given grace and generosity, so we do too. He has forgiven, so we do too. He has not gotten even with us, so we don't seek to get even with others. But look again in verse 12, there's another reason specifically in the text why we're called to love and to treat people this way 
What does the end of verse 12 say? For, here's why, because this is the law and the prophets. When Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets, He is referring to the sum total of all the teaching that we now know as the Old Testament. Jesus here says that the law and the prophets, from Genesis to Malachi, is calling us to treat others in the same way that we want to be treated. Jesus later in Matthew's Gospel will restate this a different way, and I want you to see it. Turn to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22, a familiar text to many of you. Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. Jesus is dialoguing in this text with a lawyer who comes to him with a question, essentially trying to trip Jesus up. Matthew 22, look at verse 35. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. On equal par with it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On this depends the whole law and the prophets. Treat others how you would want them to treat you. Love your neighbor as you love God with all that you are. What will then become a desire of your heart is I'm going to love other image bearers. I'm going to love my neighbor no matter who they are, where they are, no matter what they do or don't do. I'm going to love people because the sum of the law beloved the sum of the ten commandments those two tablets of stone the sum total of that on one tablet is saying love god with all that you are on the second tablet is love your neighbor as yourself we're being called to live our lives in relationship to one another, not how we want, but as the law and the prophets, the sum of God's Word tells us to live. So then, beloved, it matters how you treat people, right? It matters how you treat the waiter, the waitress at the restaurant. It matters how you treat the difficult employee or employer. It matters how you treat your spouse, children. It matters how you engage with your parents and parents with your children. The golden rule of verse 12 is the law and the prophets because it's calling us to love God and our neighbor as ourselves. How are you doing in this regard? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Or are you treating them as you want to treat them? How you best deem that they should be treated. Understand, we don't get to decide how to live in relationship with one another. God's Word tells us how to do that. There's only really one way, and it's to love our neighbor as ourselves. Secondly, secondly, in verse 13, we come to this truth. 
the world's way. So we're kind of bouncing from God's way. I want us to think about the world's way for a moment. Here in verse 13, the world's way, its standard, its code of conduct, its belief system, the world's way is broad and it leads to death. The world's way is, oh, it's so broad. But it leads to death. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. He begins in verse 13 with this imperative to enter through the narrow gate. I want to come back to that in a moment as we get to verse 14. Because as we see here in verse 13 that the focus of attention is this wide gate and its broad path. I want us to think about this picture being set before us in the text of verse 13. I want us to notice three kind of particular things here about this broad gate and its way. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Notice that this gate, it opens up to a broad way, and this gate that you enter through to get on this road, oh, it's wide. It is wide. It is wide open. Big, huge doors that just swing wide and reveals this massive archway, this massive doorway through which one might walk to get on this particular road. When you go to come through this gate, there are no restrictions. No restrictions in coming through this gate. The doors are wide. They let anybody through. They let everybody through this gate. You can bring all your belongings. You don't have to drop. You don't have to leave anything behind to get through this gate. You can enter through this gate with all your buddies. It can be the most fun, uh, just a, a high-ho good time. You can enter with ease. You can enter at your leisure. You can enter whenever, wherever, however you want. Secondly, this gate opens up to what? Oh, it opens up to the most broad and sweeping and easy road that you've ever seen. Oh, it, it, it looks so inviting. It's paved. It is smooth, it seems. There are no potholes dotting the highway. When you pass through this gate, broad. A lot of people. Everybody's having a great time on this road. And as you begin to cruise down this road, you are cruising down this road with many who enter through it. And what lies before the traveler of this road, it is seemingly wide and easy, meandering and smooth. The road is broad. And on this road, the doctrine is broad. You can believe whatever you want to believe on this road. No restrictions. It's wide. 
You can believe whatever you want to believe. Or, maybe better yet, they would say, you don't have to believe anything at all on this road. You just meander. Just live your life. No doctrine here to confine in any way. On this road, the lifestyles of the people on this road are varied and many. There's no restrictions on this road. Hey, on this road, you can do you. You can do you, and whatever that means, you do it. And by the way, there's no doctrine here to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. So you just live however you want to live on this road. There's no restrictions. You live your best life. I think the billboards, by the way, down this highway, they're telling the individual love is love. You do you. On this easy boulevard, self is the Savior, and your own reason is your religion. There's no demands. There's no boundaries. There's none of those pesky, tedious guardrails. Those things are annoying, right? I mean, who wants something that's going to keep you from dying? There's none of that on this road. You just go wherever you want. Live however you want. Believe whatever you want. No structure. No accountability. No authority. No truth. Or maybe worse, you just live your truth. This is what everyone says to one another as they high-five each other on this free-for-all avenue. John Stott once said about this road, it's a road of tolerance and permissiveness. No curb, no boundaries of either thought or conduct. This is the road that the world is setting before you today. Just cut to the chase, friends. They don't care about truth. Culture doesn't care about absolutes. You are the center of of all reality and existence on this road. That's where we are. That's the culture of our day. And nobody, nobody, no pastor in a pulpit, no Christian with an old antiquated Bible, no religious system gets to say otherwise. I want you to hear it. I want you to see this broad road I want you to hear what culture is saying. And then I want you to pay attention lastly in verse 13 to the final destination of this road. The broad way, it goes to one place and one place only. There are not many destinations. You can't get to many different places on this road. They tell you that you can, but they're lying. Because this road leads to one place for all of its easy, for all of its fun, for all of its no rules, no restrictive Jesus, no restrictive Bible, none of that pesky holiness of God. For all of that, they say, friends, this is a deadly road. It's a road that leads where? 
it leads to destruction. One destination. An eternal hell suffering the white hot wrath of God's holy hatred against all sin and unrepentant sinners. This road ends where? It ends at an eternal lake of fire. It ends at a lake of full darkness. Of gnashing of teeth where the biting and the consuming worm never dies. They don't tell you that when you enter through that gate, do they? Whether it's because they're ignorant and do not know themselves or whether they just want to keep the truth from you. They don't tell you that what they're selling and the highway that you walk, that it's going to kill you. Every single person, every single time on this road ends up in destruction. Hear God's Word, dear friend. Do not ignore this. Setting before you today life and death This is the reality. There's two gates and there's two roads. And this one in verse 13 leads to death. And they don't tell you that while you're easily passing through the gates. They tell you this is the road where you can finally escape. You can finally live on this road. They tell you that on this road you can deconstruct and you can be free. There's no freedom on this road. There's only bondage. There's no escape. There's only more chains. There's no life. There's only death. If this road has me as its Savior, guess where that's ending? It's ending in the eternal death that my sin has brought about. Some of you, hearing this sermon, you are on this Broadway. You wrongly believe that you can do you and still go to heaven when you die. You wrongly believe that you can do without all this ancient Scripture, its demands, its guides, You wrongly believe that you can reject the necessity of Jesus. Partly you believe it because other travelers on this broad way, they've come up to you and they've whispered in your ear. Maybe they've shouted it in your face. And they've told you that this is the road you want to be on. That this is how you get happy and fulfilled and how you live. And for some of you, you've swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. The hook is in your lip. And you are being reeled unto an eternal destruction. Some of you do not know just how close to destruction you really are. And so I want to plead with you. I want to plead with you to come to Christ. I want to plead with you and help you to understand that there is only one off-ramp, if you will, from this deadly road. 
And it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is good news about how you can be saved from death unto life. To be brought out of darkness into marvelous light. How all your sins may be atoned for and how you might receive the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ so that you might live before a holy God. I want to plead with you, please don't listen to the world. Please don't buy in. Please don't get squishy in your doctrine. Please don't go soft on the good demands of Scripture. Don't enter that gate and don't die on that road. Thirdly, verse 14, back to God's way. God's way, it is narrow. Just as sure as that other gate and way are broad, God's way is narrow, but it leads to life. It leads to life. Look in verse 14. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Remember how Jesus began verse 13, enter the narrow gate. Interesting that that's an imperative. It's a command. And I want to make sure we understand here, the idea is, don't just get close to the gate. It's not what he says. The idea here is not just walk right up to the gate. The idea is, see the gate, go to the gate, and do what? Enter through the gate. Getting close to it will not save you. Just getting close to the church and the people of God and the good news of Jesus Christ, just kind of getting close, that doesn't lead to life. That leads to death. you got to walk through. In fact, the, the tone here is, hey, you need to make every effort to get through this gate. Why? Because this gate, verse 14, it's not like that other gate. This gate's narrow. That other gate swings its big old doors. It swings them wide. And, you know, 25 people at once can all kind of go through that gate together. Not, not the narrow gate of verse 14. This is a turnstile. It's a turnstile. 20 people aren't getting through that thing together. One person at a time you know how the turnstile works, right? You kind of got to like squeeze yourself kind of through this thing just right. It's a narrow, compressed gate. If you want to get through this gate, you got to get skinny. You got to get small. Now, I don't mean your physical demeanor, by the way. I mean your soul. Your soul's got to get skinny. You have to get small because you can't go through this gate if you're puffed up with pride and self you're never going to get through one must deflate their ego one must humble their self-importance one must lay down 
because you can't get through this gate with it. You got to lay down your ideas about how to live. You got to lay down your very best efforts to live. And you got to walk through that gate with nothing in your hand I bring simply to the cross you cling. It's a tight place, this gate. So if a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl is going to get through this compressed space, they must be first humbled by the Gospel. Brought low. They must understand and confess their sin, that there is nothing that they can do to save themselves. This gate is more difficult to enter through because it requires the loss of that which people are not willing to lay down. Self. I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think the reality as to why people don't receive the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and why they don't go to heaven when they die is they are simply unwilling to lay down self. They just can't get out of the way. You want to get through this gate, you got to lay down that which you are not willing to lay down. Charles Spurgeon said, if it be the right road, you'll find the entrance somewhat difficult and exceedingly narrow, for it demands self-denial. Look again in verse 14. Where does this gate lead? That narrow gate leads to a narrow road. It leads to a narrow way. Like the gate, the road itself. It's a tight space. It's compressed. It's not a broad way. Think of just maybe hiking in the mountains and you, you just kind of squeezing yourself through that little, almost like cleft in the rock that just kind of barely opens up. And even as you turn sideways, you can feel it rubbing against and compressing you. That's the narrow road. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, squeezing yourself through some of those tight places is not always going to be the most fun thing you'll ever do. You're not going to be squeezing yourself through the tight places with all of your friends and pals. The road is narrow. It's sometimes difficult. It's governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kept by the Word of God. And there are parameters on this road. On this road, you got those pesky guardrails. You know, those things that keep you from drifting off the road to destruction. There are guardrails on this road. It's not broad wherever you want to go. The parameters do not allow for you do you. The billboard... On this road is Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's the billboard on this road. There's no easy believism. There's no cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that when God calls a man, He bids him come and die. That's the kind of life on this road. 
One does not enter this road however they want, and once on the road, one does not get to live however they want. John Stott said this, its boundaries are clearly marked, its narrowness is due to something called divine revelation, which restricts pilgrims to the confines of what God has revealed in Scripture to be true and good. And sadly, grievously, how many people are on this road? Few. It's not our job to figure out that number or to figure out the ratio as compared to those on the broad way. But just know that there are fewer people on this road. Sometimes you'll walk this road and you may go a while before you see anybody else. It might get quiet. It might get a little lonely. And you have to notice the language of verse 13 or verse 14. There are few who find this road. You don't have to look very hard for the broad gate, right? You don't have to look very far for the broad avenue. But this narrow gate and its narrow road, there are few who find it. It gets crowded out by the broad gates. The travelers of the broad way, they, they try to cover up this narrow gate. This gate is belittled. It's counted as nothing. To find it, one must hear the Gospel. They must contemplate the realities of the Gospel. They must count the cost of the Gospel. And they must enter through it by God's saving grace alone. But church, what's the last thing about verse 14? Where does this road lead? Two gates, two roads, two destinations. This road. And this road alone leads to life. And Christian, maybe first, I want you to hear this. Because I know the temptation. The temptation is to quit. It's narrow, it's hard, it's pressing, it's constricting. It makes me lay down self. I confess and repent of sin and then I do it again the next day and then I do it again the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day and and it's wearying and exhausting. But dear saint, this road leads to life. You hear me? This road and this road that you have been placed on by God's kindness and grace and mercy in Christ, this road leads to life. Don't quit. Don't quit walking this road. If you have to crawl, then crawl. If you have to grab a root and pull yourself along, grab the root and pull yourself along. Do that. Eventually, somebody's coming. You're not all alone. Eventually, somebody else will come. They'll pick you up. They'll help you along the way. Eventually, you'll do that for somebody else. But don't you quit. If you quit, there's only destruction. There's no life. Even though the road is narrow and it is fraught with many dangers, toils, and snares, the end result is eternal life. Life with God the Father through God the Son. There's only one way. There's only one truth. 
There's only one life, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You must enter through Him. You must walk in Him. You must be made alive in Him. There are not many roads to life. Not all roads go to heaven. One gate, one way, one life, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One. There's no middle way. Don't waste your time groping for the middle way. Don't try to find the squishy middle. It doesn't exist. The world tells you it exists. There is no squishy middle. It's white, it's black, it's life, it's death, it's light, it's dark. Those are the only options. Don't fool yourself and think you can outsmart God and find a different way to life. Church, don't quit. Don't quit. Let it be narrow. Let it be constricting. Let it be hard. What is James telling us? The trials are doing something. They're never for nothing. God's at work in your suffering. Keep walking this narrow road. One commentator said this, we have no reason to be discouraged and cast down if the religion we profess is not popular and few agree with us. We must remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. The gate is narrow. Repentance and faith in Christ and holiness of life have never been fashionable. The true flock of Christ has always been small. It must not move us to find that we are reckoned singular and peculiar and bigoted and narrow-minded. This is the narrow way. Surely it is better to enter into life eternal with a few than to go to destruction with a great company. And I end the way I began. Jeremiah 21 and verse 8. I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Which will it be? Let's pray together. God, I think we feel the weight of this text that You call us as Your people to a particular way to live, a particular gate, a particular road. We feel the weight of the contrast between the broad road, the broad path, the many who are on it to destruction. And God, I pray that by Your Spirit You would help us to make sense of all this. God, I think most earnestly I would pray this morning that for those hearing this sermon, God, that they would be confronted with the the realities here if they are not in Christ. If they've bought into the world and the world philosophy, the world system, the world religion, the world's idea of salvation, God, that they would be gripped by its destructive undertones. That they would turn from that. That they would turn to Christ. That they would enter the narrow gates. And that finally they would live. Finally they would have joy, peace, and contentment. Finally they would be rescued from eternal destruction.
God, show the necessity of Christ. And God, I pray for weary saints this morning. For those who are weary yet pursuing. For those that are crawling on bloody hands and knees this morning. Who wonder, just sometimes in the quietness of their own soul, is it all worth it? Does this really lead to life? Is this really the best way, the right way? Is this really the only way? God, just help them to see. Encourage their faint-heartedness. Give them hope. The hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. That in His resurrected life, we have life. God, there's much here to contemplate. There are likely many responses. Lord, help us to just faithfully respond now. We sing, as we meditate on these scriptures, as we leave this place. God, we ask for your great help in this. We pray it all through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Church, as we stand together.